She's April. And she's Molly. And we are the Book Besties. <laughs> Beautiful cover. I love the Lily Playhouse and all of its characters. Yes, can we be done? If not, it's going to be a really short episode. What a world it would be if you and I had the same taste in women, Olive. I'm guessing it was the alcohol. I would blame it on absinthe if it was like Moulin Rouge or something. So again, we're a lesbian couple. (laughs) Don't go down that rabbit hole. Don't go down that rabbit hole. We meet with our therapist. (laughs) <laughs> I like the new hand gesture. Ooh. <laughs> Ta-da! Jazz hands! Book besties with spirit fingers. <laughs> oh, Lord. So, we have come to the end of our season. End of the year, end of season one. Six months I, we've been doing this, Molly. Six we've survived. Months. We've fucking Six survived. Months. I can't believe we've actually been able to keep it to once a week because like when we talked about doing this, we're like, oh, we'll do it every other week. And then we're like, ah, let's start with once a week for the summer because like I'm off and like we could get, you know, we could do once a week. Uh, Never in a million years did I actually think we would keep that progress. And now I'm like obsessively planning how to read all the books so I could still stay once a week. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I'm literally reading two books at once. I'm reading a physical book and an audio book all the time. All the time. I can't do that. I can't do that. Mm -hmm. I am. (laughs) I'm proud of you. You also have a lot more going on in your world than I do. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I mean, I work full time, but you teach also. So I don't know. Well, the girls are crockpots. I give them set them to the right temperature and let them be. <laughs> yeah, I literally give them the ingredients. I put them down on the counter and 8 hours later I have a delicious meal. <laughs> they I they are very I, I this is not a mom brag. My kids are smart. Yeah, they are. My kids are smart. They just yeah, are You can m- brag about that. Your kids are smart and you I, made them. Like I mean I, most parents are like, yeah, my kids are super smart. No, my kids are, are actually fucking smart. Yeah. Like, yeah. and the only reason we can do homeschooling is because of their own motivation. Mm-hmm. I mean, right. Piper, Piper has started calling it um, independent study. <laughs> so I feel like if we were homeschooling, that's what it would be for James. It would be like <laughs> an independent study. He would kind of just pick and choose the things he like was interested in. And we would just do those things. But Sam, he's really smart. But he's he a social also, kid, though. He's a social butterfly. And I'm not totally convinced that he's not also neurodivergent. I don't think he has autism like James does. But he's got some tendencies that I'm like, is this being five or is this ADHD? Probably ADHD. Probably. Welcome to the clan. <laughs> I mean, probably. Not a one of us in this house are neurotypical. So <laughs> wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> Um, but anyway, uh, I, so, my uh, my other best friend sent me this lovely bracelet. I don't know if you oh, can see beautiful. it. Um, so this is my Christmas present from her. It's the um, it's a heart shape with the autism puzzles in it, and she Aww. put a note in it that said, "Autism doesn't come with an instruction manual. It comes with a mom who fights hard." That is beautiful, and that's what I'm going through right now. So. Yeah, that is beautiful. I sent you PJs. 
Not as pretty. You sent me. But- no, no. Let me just tell you, I would much rather actually be wearing my PJs right now. All you fans, she sent me purple PJs with hearts and stars, and they're freaking beautiful and freaking comfortable. And like, that's how I want to walk into my forties. Forties are for comfort. And when this episode premieres, I will, in fact, be 40. Oh, Woo! I'm jealous. Oh, I also, uh, Molly also sent me a book of uh, all the of bookstores around the world. And I told Tom, I have a new life goal to visit all these bookstores. And he said, oh, tell Molly not to buy you shit like that. <laughs> I'll do that traveling with you. It'll be a book bestie tour. <laughs> Oh, we could do live podcasts, Book Besties Live at all the bookstores across the country. And we could just describe them. It'd be great. It'd be great. Maybe we could get Francesca Zappia to come now that she and I are BFFs on uh, Instagram. I know. We, uh, we, we're was... not Book Besties. We are not at all BFFs. But she did comment. She commented on one of my posts. On the TikTok. On one, of my, reels, yeah, one of my Instagram yeah. reels um, where I was talking about uh, Eliza and her monsters, which was our episode last week. And I am still riding that high. I'm going to be riding that high till I die. <laughs> it was amazing. So this week. This week. The City of Girls. City of Girls. Beautiful cover. Beautiful cover. Um, interesting book. Let's say that. Mm. <laughs> Um, I, I want to go on record and say that this is my least favorite book that we have covered in six months on the pod. And that includes, that includes seven Harry Potter books. (laughs) (laughs) Um, like 10 minutes into this book, we listened to it. We listened to the audiobook in the car on our way to Florida for Thanksgiving and 10 minutes into the book, I looked over at Tom. I was like, why the fuck did Molly think I would like this? Because I liked it the first time. Not at all. My cup of tea. Um, so my husband was actually texting Molly for you, for me. <laughs> Cause I was every once crying. in a while, something would say Tom in parentheses. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cause those were the times that I wasn't telling him what to say. <laughs> He's, it's so funny. Um, uh, he also he's has a mess. Su- he's a mess. We're all he's a mess. mess. He's a mess. He's, I love him though. He had a surprise for us this week, which was really nice. I the side note: yesterday he asserted his dominance over the koi in our pond by eating fish and chips while overlooking it. <laughs> <laughs> he has like, a very interesting life. That's a very like, interesting. I was just like. So basically what you were doing was telling them if they don't stay in line, they're not going to eat them. He was like, yeah. (laughs) I was like, what? What does he think they're going to do? I don't know. What does he think they're going to do? Well, one of them, we lost one because he's Like it ran away or it died? It died because it tried to run away. It apparently apparently jumped and it jumped into, he has a hydroponics planter Uh and it jumped into it. And like, we couldn't find the fucking fish. We're like, where the fuck did the fucking fish go? So we thought maybe like we had taken the net off. And so we thought maybe a bird got it. A few days later, we found it in the hydroponics planter. And I mean, it was still alive at that point, but it had been exposed to the sun. So it never like, even though it had it enough water, crispy. right? Even though it had enough water to breathe, it never recovered. Yeah. Oh so, no, because it's like a sunburn. Right. So anyway, yeah, I'm sunburn. sorry that was way off topic. But he does have a surprise for us, besties. Which we are, and I, I got to listen to today. It was so great. We and both then listened I made, to it today. 
And I made Matthew Biggs listen to it, and he thought it was hilarious. It's very funny. So we do not have an episode the first Tuesday in January, which is January 4th. Um, that sounds right. we, we are taking a break that day, but if you would like to hear a fun preview of season two slash uh, review of season one, uh, my husband put a very thoughtful it was uh, very, clip episode together for us. And it's short, so just give it a listen and give it a laugh and um, thank You'll my see. husband. You'll <laughs> Yes. <laughs> so let's get into this book. All right. We, we we have to, apparently. I mean, if not, it's going to be a really short episode. <laughs> Is it fine that I'm okay with that? <laughs> I think people actually want to hear what you think. I already told them what I think. All right. Give a synopsis, Molly. Fuck. Synopsis? No, synopsis. It doesn't matter. It's <laughs> both. I know. I just like fucking with you. <laughs> Strap in, besties. This is going to be way off the rails today. <laughs> I, I mean, we're getting to the end of it. We're getting to the end of it. I get it. Gosh. This right. historical fiction set in World War II era, we meet Vivian, a 18-slash-19 mm-hmm. year-old, I don't know. Who I think is she's recent, 19. Yeah. Who has left college and seems to not know her path forward in life. Her parents ship her off to live with her Aunt Peg at Lily Playhouse in New York City. The story is told in a memoir slash letter format as Vivian looks back at her life as she tries to explain to a woman named Angela how she met slash knew her father. Mm-hmm. Longest game of how I met your mother ever. Um, at least that one had nine seasons and was a payoff. The end of this, I, whatever. Um, um, I, it, ever- I, didn't, I didn't actually look at the physical book. Does it, is it written like a letter? Um, no, it's written like a book. It Sorry. it kind of here. Okay, like, well, that was pointless. It says New York at the very beginning. It says New York 2010, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And then, like, she does Angela, comma. And then I don't even think she signs it at the end. But when I first read this, as a personal note, as a personal note, she does mm-hmm. sign it at the end at page 466. Thank you for listening, Vivian Morris. 400 and fucking 66 pages to answer the fucking simple question that Angela About asked her. How do you, what is your relationship with my father? What was um, your relationship? When I first read this book, I gave it four stars, but I actually bumped it down to 2.5 after re-listening to it. Mm. And mm. we're going to talk about why. I gave it one because it doesn't give me an option to give it zero. <laughs> is That's the new, what's the, it's the new TikTok sound. Is I that a TikTok sound? It is. It's a TikTok sound. Oh I gosh. give you a zero, but I can't. So I give you a one. It's Tyra we'll Banks. S- we'll save that one and I'll make one for this. <laughs> um, so this book is written by Elizabeth Gilbert, mm-hmm. the author of Eat, Pray, Love. Have you read that or any of her other works? I have not. I've seen the movie for Eat, Pray, Love, which I heard was very different than the book Eat, Pray, Love. But it- I love Julia Roberts, so she's in it. I'm there for it. Um, But no, I haven't read it. I want to say the mutual friend, ex-friend, mutual. The the ex-friend, not friend. The one one that's no longer our our friend that we mentioned in the first episode. Because of a myriad of reasons. She doesn't deserve our friendship. She doesn't deserve our friendship. Um, I want to say that she was the one that suggested 
Eat, Pray, Love. And then I think, did we go to the movie together? I think we all went to the movie together. It and was I was like, I'm not her. reading it though. It was that whole group of friends. Yeah. And we were all here. Yeah. And because we had just done, because we did all read Sobo, right? And then we went to the movie. And then mm-hmm. she had suggested we read and then go to Eat, Pray, Love. And, and I didn't read it, but I went. And I didn't you. read it either because I had just mm. popped out a second kid. Mm. And she was mad that we didn't read it. Well, you know what? Whatever. I'm mad that she did a lot of things. So Right. Mm. Anyway. Anyway, it's we all that. went to see the Hunger Games together, too. Well, no, you and I went to see the Hunger you Games. You and I went without them because yeah, because we're, we're cooler than everybody else. <laughs> we see that in two different lights. <laughs> we omitted people. I go, we're assholes. You go, because we're cooler than everybody else. <laughs> the truth. Um, uh, did you enjoy the audiobook narrator? So I liked her voice, and I kept thinking to myself, I know this voice. Where the hell do I know this voice from? So I had actually Googled her, and uh-huh. she plays a character on the show Orange is the New Black. Yes, she does. And so that's where I knew her from. If you're a fan of Orange is the New Black, which I haven't seen all of the seasons, I stopped after the season where they had, like, the the riot. The, I was like, well, this season was horrible. So I stopped after the riot season. Um, but she played the Martha Stewart, Paula Dean hodgepodge person yes. who was in the prison um, and then ended up having like a three-way with a guard and yoga. Yeah, it was fucking weird. Janet, it was weird. But anyway, I, I that voice was so familiar to me. Um, and so I had to Google it. I liked her as a narrator. Like, I feel like I would listen to one of her audiobooks again. Mm-hmm. I think she was really a good choice for the character, even though the character when she's telling the story is older yes. um, than what this woman is. I think she had the right voice for Vivian. I think yes. she really did a good job with that. I have a link actually shared written by penguin audio random house about her being the narrator. So I enjoyed okay. it. I, yeah. I think it gave um, a sense of age to the character right. that the storytelling required. So I'm, I'm re-listening to the hunger games right now because it's winter break. And so fuck mm-hmm. it. Um, and that's my favorite series. And we're going right. to be covering that on season two of the pod. So we I'm are. getting a head start. Um, and I am really bothered by the fact that they picked a narrator who is way too old to be Katniss. And then I never liked the narrator for it. Well, they've redone it. And Tatiana Maslany from really? She redid it, but I haven't heard her version of it. But um, from Orphan Black, she Uh she redid them. Um, But the narrator for the original audiobooks, um, the way that she voices Katniss when Mm -hmm. Katniss is like having dialogue, she talks younger, and it really irritates me. Why didn't they just pick somebody that had a younger voice? Interesting. I'll have to check my Audible because I would be interested to see. If they switched out the Oh my version. gosh, if you get the Tatiana Maslany, I am going to borrow your Audible not sponsored. Hashtag. <laughs> Hashtag um, not sponsored. <laughs> this book, like several I've picked for the pod, is historical fiction. Mm. We all know it's not your, it's a favorite genre of mine, but it's not, and you're not a fan. Mm-hmm. I realize I've never asked you, why is this one of your least favorite genres? I don't know that I have a reason. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I, history fucking sucks. No, <laughs> no. I mean, I love history. That's the thing. Like, I once watched History Channel for an entire day, so it started like repeating episodes, uh-huh. things that happened that day because like their content <laughs> like just people, repeats itself. Yeah, like, like like people that watch HGT 
H-E-T-D. Exactly like that. Um, I really like history. I just am not really into historical fiction. I went through this time when I was younger that I really liked Holocaust fiction um, when I was like in fourth or fifth grade. And I think I've mentioned that on the pod before. Um, But it's not There's a group of us that were really into Holocaust fiction. Mm -hmm. And then there was a group that was really into Indian in the Cupboard. Mm -hmm. And then the rest of them. Loved Indian in the Cupboard. And then there was a group of us there was a group that were into the crucible and then the rest mm-hmm. were mythology so you either had the, i didn't like either- the crucible but all the other things you mentioned i liked um i think as i've gotten older i've preferred uh dystopian and post-apocalyptic is my favorite genre um i know that people like uh book talk and in and mm-hmm. bookstagram right now is all spicy like I- adult fiction and that's not really my jam i don't think this is the the biggest complaint that I have with this book. I don't like books that have gratuitous sex and sex with multiple people. And um, that tends to be adult fiction, which is why I gravitate towards YA anyway. Now, I did read Outlander, and I really Uh enjoyed Outlander. And that is historical fiction. But it's also time travel. It's written differently, though. Yeah, it's written differently. And that's also very spicy, but I really liked it. Um, I don't really know why I don't historical fiction. I like like Elizabeth Gilbert's writing style. Does she always always write historical? Well, I guess not. E. Pray Love is it. No. But E. Pray Love, wasn't that a memoir? Like, that was her... Kind of-ish. Yeah. Kind of-ish. I don't don't think I'll pick her up again. Like, that's not... Same. Same. I picked this up because I followed her. I follow her on Instagram. Be- mm-hmm. For uh, different reasons, she's done like uh, virtual like symposiums about writing and that mm-hmm. kind of thing. Yeah, and I read a couple of like her ex like not exposés, but like um, she's written things for like Huffington Post and those kind of places about like writing editorials and things. Yes, editorials. That's the word about writing. And so mm-hmm. I started following her based off of like her writing mm-hmm. advice. I mean, she's. A Times bestseller times three, right? Like, right. obviously, she knows something. Right. And so I started following her on there. And, like, so that's how I got this book was because she announced it on there. You know why I think I don't like historical fiction? Huh. I think it's probably because I don't – I like thinking about what kind of future we could have. Right. So when I read post-apocalyptic, I want I want a hero story. I want someone to rise up and change things and make things better. And the past, even though I love it's history, set in stone. it's, it's, a, it's done. Like that's yeah. the way it is. And I think I'm more interested in like actual people in history than I am, uh, fictional people in that mm. historical world. I, and like, I have I, you read, have you read the book, um, a gentleman's guide to vice and virtue? No. So that's one that's like all over, uh, book talk and, um, mm-hmm. And uh, bookstagram, and it's like one that people really like, and it's a, a YA, it's historical fiction, and I picked that up because we, in our challenge, that we we run a book challenge yeah. that's not a part Public. of the podcast. No, um, it's a private group that we've been running now for I don't know five years or something, and a long no, time, longer than that, seven, eight, seven, six. eight years, eight years, eight years, Anyways. eight years, um, and. We had to read a historical fiction because that's not really my jam. I picked that one because it was supposed to be like the the two main characters are gay. Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh, okay, so it'll have like a different twist on right. um, on historical fiction, and I hated it. Hmm. I I just think that it's just not my jam. 
I like historical fiction because I like history. Mm-hmm. But I like seeing the first time I read what I thought was historical fiction was Number of the Stars. Ah, I would say that was the same for me. And I loved seeing something terrible and tragic from somebody else's point of view. Mm-hmm. And I like being able to, it helps me grasp and understand the time period better. Right. Right. Yeah. And I fact check along the way because that's who I, I am. Do. I do too. And I, and I, I learn as I go uh-huh. and that's why I yeah. enjoy it. It's not always my like jam. I don't always like all historical fictions. Everyone knows how I feel about the Outlander books. That woman's writing style drives me up a wall for some reason. Mm. Uh-uh. No. I can't immediately know. Immediately know. But <laughs> anyways. Well, there are some historical fictions I have liked. A Number of the Stars is one. Out of the Dust is also a children's book that's uh, a novel in verse about mm-hmm. the dust hole during the Depression, which was really interesting. Um, but I think being that most of my major in undergrad was literature, uh-huh. I read so much that wasn't really historical fiction because it was written during that time period. But here's an interesting thing, Molly. My favorite book of all time is historical fiction. What? Oh, technically it is. It's historical fiction. Technically, yeah, it is. It was written yeah, in the 60s and takes place in the 40s. Uh, and that's my favorite book. Well, so, what the fuck's wrong with you? I don't know. So many things. <laughs> How, don't go down that rabbit hole. Don't go down that rabbit hole. In our new podcast, What the Fuck is Wrong with April and Molly, <laughs> we meet with our therapists. Oh my no. gosh. Oh my anyway, gosh. next question. Uh, this book is set in New York City, which is a massive cliche, but right before America enters into World War II. What did you think of the setting? Um... Okay, so I like books set in New York City because, you know, it's like a dream of mine to go to it's New York the City. World. I still haven't. Yeah. Still haven't been to NYC. And so I like that. But this one was definitely cliche. Mm-hmm. First of all, if your daughter is having trouble and basically flunks out of school, why would you go send her to live in New York City to run a theater company with her lesbian aunt? That feels like it wouldn't work out in your favor. <laughs> your your sister, who you don't speak to, right. because of the because way of she her lifestyle. lifestyle. <laughs> yeah, I, I think the mindset lots of is, bad choices. <laughs> I think the mindset is if you're not going to be like us, we're just going to cast you aside like we do her. You know what I mean? Just I guess. But um, I mean, we get all we get stories in New York all the time, right? Mm-hmm. But I liked seeing the transition of the city through Vivian's eyes as we got deeper into the war, right? Yeah. As as life changed in the world, life changed in New York City. And it was interesting to see that perspective, right? Because mm-hmm. if, you, if you see the musical Hamilton, mm-hmm. right, we get the point of view of how New York City changes during that setting. Right. And... And Great Gatsby's New York City in the 20s. Right. And so I like... Which I also like Great Gatsby. Right. Fuck, what's wrong with you? That's not historical fiction because it was written written in in that time period. Um, But it's just... I like seeing... I like seeing a city in transition. Yeah. It makes it a character in my mind. 
And that is why New York was a good choice, even though it was very cliche, because New York is one of those cities that is evolving. You know, Mm -hmm. Uh, there aren't a lot of cities that you can be like, I'm going to set a book that takes place over. I mean, how many years does this book take place over? 40, 50? A long time. Like she's in her 80s or some shit when she ends it. Right. You can't. 40 years at least. You can't pick a better city to evolve over 40 right. years than I mean, because we learn about when the playhouse goes down and they mm-hmm. change Brooklyn that way. And mm-hmm. like, it, it's right. just, it, it, it's very interesting. I right. found it interesting. Um, it was cliche, but it was, cliche, it, it, it was still somehow a good choice. I don't know. Yeah. Um, our main character in this book is Vivian. She is very confident about her looks and her abilities. She admits that she knows she's pretty <laughs> This is different from most of our main characters we meet. She also describes her time at Vassar, and she's pretty much a typical, air quote, bad girl, sneaking Mm -hmm. out, drinking, and smoking. Mm -hmm. What do you think about her as we're just meeting her? I mean, I guess the, okay, so she's telling the story of her life. Right. And I guess at this point, like, I think of, like, older women when you have a conversation with them and they've already had their lives and they're just like, they're just reflecting back, waxing on the fence. This is the things that happen. So I worked with a woman at um, the church that I was the children's ministry for. Uh I shared an office with a woman who is a a dancer in New York city during this like time in the cool in the the forties. And Margie is like, I mean, she's still alive. She's, alive and, and lives in um Pasadena still. Um she Margie is like the most like upright citizen I can like ever imagine. Like she's the ultra good girl. I, you know, was married to her husband for a very long time. He was actually hit by a car. It was tragic, like hit and run. Oh my god. And he died. It was awful. Um but like I cannot for the life of me picture her dancing like these women in this book, because like that is not the woman that she is. And when she talked about it, you know, (laughs) well, when she talked about it, she never mentioned like being like any of the women who are in this book. But Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. I think about uh, one of my favorite movies, the league of their own where uh, Madonna, I'm not going back to dancing for, you know, 10 cents, a a dance, you know, and thinking about things like that. Cause like, that's essentially what they were doing. Like these showgirls were looky loose. Right. The, sh- the showgirls in this book, um, they purposely put dances in so that they could show off their bodies. Like, there was, you know, this. The because shimmy. they weren't, like, they were off, off Broadway. They weren't Broadway. Right. right. You're right. And they weren't, I don't know why kids were coming to those, because they were not putting together kid-friendly shows. <laughs> um, do you think your opinion of Vivian changes as she ages? Um... I mean, I can't, one thing I can say about her is she knows who she is, but. How many of us can say that? (laughs) I have a big problem with her as a character because, I mean, I guess she was always the bad girl, but like two weeks after going into New York City, this was not the beginning of the book. And like, this was when I was like, why would Molly think I would like this? Two weeks in, she was like, oh, I might as well get it get losing my virginity over with like i might as well and, like it. the showgirls plan it out man they're like no this is unacceptable and you essentially need to lose essentially she loses her virginity to a married man who pays her for sex a, a, a veterinarian 
Right. <laughs> I that this is just counter to all of the morals that I have. Like right. all of them. And like, every last moral that I have, that's not it. Well, um, let's, while we're talking about sex, let's talk about the sex in the book. Because there's a lot of it. Um, there's a lot of it. And you and I have different perspectives when it comes to sex. We do. And, I mean, that's life. Everybody is allowed that. Mm-hmm. Um, while I was not as free with my body as Vivian. Mm-hmm. Um, Nor was I. Nowhere near it. <laughs> um, I comprehend the sexless love. I understand it. It's a physical need. Well, mm-hmm. you're on the other side of that. Sex mm-hmm. and love go hand in hand for you. Mm-hmm. What's right. the quote from Gray's? Your heart's in your vagina. <laughs> my heart does live in my vagina. <laughs> but, if my uh, husband pulls that out as an intro quote, <laughs> I may have to hurt him. <laughs> um, but it's, I mean... <laughs> And, you know, everybody it has different comfort levels when it comes to talking about sex. Mm-hmm. And it it definitely shows, this book shows the different perspectives on it, right? Yeah. Um, Peg well, I- and Olive are very private in their personal lives. Mm-hmm. Um, we meet showgirls who are the opposite of that. They're you literally know? prostitutes. Right. And then, like... Like we, it's just we have so many different characters that have different point of views mm-hmm. on it. It's mm-hmm. just interesting. So I once uh, heard an interview with Maya Bialik where she was talking about how she was a late bloomer, and I mean, I guess that would be the best way to describe me. I, I and I'm okay with that, and I own it. Um, but I, I'm not uncomfortable talking about sex now. Now that I'm married and like. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not going to talk about it on the pod. Like, I'm not going to do that. Right, but, and that's not what I'm asking for. But I'm no, sorry, no, no, but no, 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 but no, no, no. I understand. Um, but for me, I think that I'm going to quote uh, Red, White, and Royal Blue because we both okay. love that book. We do. Um, and, and I can't directly quote it because I don't fucking know the direct quote. But Alex, when he realizes that he's in love with Henry, he says it occurs to him that that's what made the sex good. Was, was that emotions. he, loves, that he yeah. loves him. And to me, that is what makes sex good, is when is you love. love somebody. So if my heart lives in my vagina, whatever. That's fine well, with me. That's wonderful for you. But, but like, and that doesn't have to be everybody's experience. No, but I also don't like. But I also don't read books like that. Like, right. I don't want to read books where, I don't mind books with sex. I liked Outlander. I loved Red, White, and Royal Blue. Um... I, I, we're going to cover the love coach in February and I love that. And there's a lot of sex in that. And there's literally sex with a prostitute in that, but it's only the two characters are the only two that are having sex in the book that I have to read. I didn't want to read about Vivian having sex with all these people. Like that was just too much for me. Understand. I mean, it's like I said, it's a different, we all have different experiences Mm -hmm. and you are true to your experience. What mm-hmm. I think is the most important thing. I think, um, what is it from, what is it Amy Poehler says? Good for you, not for me, right? Right, right. And we're, and I think the bottom line of this is, is we're allowed to all have these different viewpoints. Right. Be it religion, sex, uh, politics. Good for you, not for me, mm-hmm. right? Like, right. whatever you're doing, 
as long as it's not hurting me, great. If it's right. not hurting, and I'm not hurting you, great. It's right. And I'm not judging you or anybody else. Like that's, I'm not, I'm not passing a judgment. Oh, I never said you were, I didn't think you were. No, no. I just want to clear that for, clarify for that everybody. I'm not passing a judgment. I just would prefer to personally read books where there's only sex between. This just feels more realistic to what I've seen in my twenties with my friends I then, wasn't having sex in my 20s. Right. Well, no. I'm well, I mean, I guess I was, I was, but not like in my early 20s. I'm not saying I was having like a mid of partners like her. Mm-hmm. I'm saying, but like watching friends have multiple partners, have mm-hmm. dating different guys, going through, cycling through boyfriends, as mm-hmm. people would say it. it it's a right. part of that, in my experience, and it's a part of most people's, some people's experiences, you know? I would so. say, I would say most people that go to college, that that is a part of their experience. Like, yeah. I, I, I know that. It just wasn't something that I chose for myself. That's okay. And that's right. what makes this book so shitty for you. <laughs> yeah. Is Vivian's a whore. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I just don't want to read it. Right. So, um, in the beginning, we learned that, um... Vivian idolizes her grandmother. Mm-hmm. She um, teaches about fashion and how to sew. The loss of her definitely sits with her as she tells us the story in her old age. My grandmother was the same for me. Mm-hmm. Well, kind of. Um, Arvita was a smoking sailor mouth, mm-hmm. redheaded, Lucille Ball, redheaded spitfire. Mm-hmm. And was one of the f- favorite people on this planet. But I feel like every girl has this kind of relationship mm-hmm. with their grandmother. Um, and I think that's why it sticks with Vivian, mm-hmm. right? Um, as she's still forming her adulthood. I right. lost my grandmother around the same age. Mm-hmm. And growing into an adult without her kind of really, not kind of sucked. It sucked because yeah. Arvina had a lot to tell me. And... Mm-hmm. Um, but I get why it sits with her. I mean, I still miss my grandmother mm-hmm. daily. I, I, I still, I can still hear her yelling at me. I know, I can hear <laughs> in the back of my head now, mm-hmm. as I, she's telling me, I'm telling everybody our family business because Johnsons don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> we don't do that. Clearly, we do because I'm one too. But. <laughs> Which not related, by the not way, gang. Did you, you had a similar experience, right? I did. So um, I actually lost my last living grandparent, uh, which was Anna Ruth. Um, It's been a year and a half now, Um, but I was much closer to uh, Lois, my mom's mom. And Mm -hmm. she was legit my best friend. Like I literally spoke to her on the phone every single day. Yeah. Every single day from the time that I started college until the day she died. Um, and the day this episode premieres, it will be 11 years, uh, since we lost her. Um, and fuck, that's still really hard to say. Yeah. Um, I don't have like the strongest relationship with my mom. So like she really filled that role for me. Um, she taught me how to cook and like the last conversation we ever had, um, the day she died, I asked her how to make this leftover turkey dinner that she made, um, every year. And, Um, yeah, I feel like losing her, like, so she died, uh, six months after Tom and I got Mm -hmm. married. Um, 
And she didn't actually get to come to our wedding because she had a fall and broke her leg in three places. And we got married in Texas. Right. And so that was like, that was, that that was so hard for me that she wasn't there. Um, but, uh, the day that she died, Tom actually came home from work and woke me up and he was the one that told me, my mom called him and told him because she didn't want me to be alone when I found out. Mm -hmm. Um, there was no way that I was going to take that well, no matter who told me it didn't matter. Mm -hmm. Um, but we had only been married for six months. And so at that time we didn't have any kids. Um, and now, you know, for I'm at 40. So, um, she missed 11 years. She missed my kids, you know, I think about that all the time. I think about that all the time. Um, Mostly I think about the fact that Grandma Arvina would most definitely, oh, I'm sorry. It's okay. Most definitely be cursing my kids out because that's what my great grandparents do on the Thomas, the Johnson side is Uh um, the older they get, the more foul their mouth gets. Uh, Grandma's, my grandma Arvina, her father, her stepfather was my great grandpa Max and Mm -hmm. um, he was German. Mm-hmm. And the older he got, the more he cussed at us in German. <laughs> it's a family tradition. Where um, is I just he, don't where speak was he German. From? Where was he from? Um, I. It's really the family. Not is not very, in Germany. Like where did he live in the U.S.? Oh, where I'm from, home. Oh. He. Um, the story okay. I was told. Now this is actually really funny. This we don't have time for this. Uh, <laughs> no, I just I just thought I realized that we might have been related, like actually related because there are Johnsons on both sides of my family. And it's, it's not, it's not that it's not that we're, in you know, we had a, okay. Um, but I like, this is a conversation for later, but Molly, I think we actually might legitly be related. Grandpa so Max, I have to talk about this later. Okay. Um, so grandpa Max came to the States with his little brother mm-hmm. and in their twenties, they parted ways and he always told the family that his brother died in Pearl Harbor. Now I learned later after doing research that that was not the case, but that's a whole nother conversation. Well, circling back to the point of how this family, (laughs) we might be. Um, So circling back to this, Vivian mentions at one point in the book that she thinks that um, maybe she was dealing with like depression after her grandmother died. And like Mm -hmm. the mourning that loss really, was what had caused her to go down this bad path. And like, right. She lost her grandma right before college. And, um, I mean, it makes at, sense. It makes a lot of sense to me. Like, that's not how I, I mean, acted out, but I also lost my grandma when I was, um, I definitely 28. Had, so it was a different experience. Arvina died right after my 21st birthday. Yeah. Um, the, the right after Chris, right before Christmas, after my 21st birthday, mm-hmm. um, I did a lot of hell raising, mm-hmm. uh, got myself into some trouble off and on. Um, nothing like jail or anything wild like that, other mm-hmm. things. And then I was like, I can't do this. I have to get out of here. And I joined right. the military. Well, I mean, well, that ended up being a good decision for you. I know, but I had to literally leave my hometown because my grandmother died. <laughs> I think that if my, yeah, I think if my grandmother would have died before I had Tom, I wouldn't mm-hmm. have made it. Oh, love. I don't think I would have made it. Um, Grandparents are important is what we're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Grandparents are important. They are. 
They are. And now I have, uh, Tom has one living grandparent. And when we got married, um, we had five between us and um, we just have the one left now. Um, Matt has one grandmother left. My grandma Joyce died suddenly about, I'm still struggling with this. Um, Grandma Joyce died about two years ago. That's all I'm going to say because I'm still having a hard time with that. Um, That was my mom's mom. Honestly, I think we need to move on from this because. Yes, we're spiraling. Yeah, we're spiraling down a really sad, morbid place that our pod doesn't usually go. Um, Okay. But 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 I also think we needed to say these things. Right. So um, I researched Butter and Eggman because I didn't understand the reference. I don't remember that part. <laughs> it, um, so it's a 1920 slang term popularized by Texas Guinean. A butter and egg man is a traveling business man that's eager to spend large amounts of money in the big cities in unsavory ways. Mm. So, and it was also a play. Um, so I want to talk about Peg and Olive now. Okay. Um, so Peg is Vivian's aunt who owns the playhouse. Right. Um, off the bat, we can see there are two halves of a whole, right? Right. We learn that Vivian moves in with them and they live on the same floor, but that's the end of the description, right? We don't know if right. they have their own separate rooms, if it's a whole thing. Right. Um, eventually with Vivian, we learn the truth about their relationship, right? Yeah. Um. Peg and all over lesbians. Yeah. Um, what did you think about their dynamic and how do you, what do you think about how, like, we learned about the, their relationship? I wasn't surprised. And I was also really surprised that Vivian was surprised. Because she, it was the... She mentions that at school, era. at college, she was around lesbians, but she had never met a gay man before. And if you have been around lesbians and you knew, like, I just was, I just really was surprised that she didn't pick that up. Like... I mean, I don't know, but, um, I think their dynamic is really good. Um, they are the couple that balances each other. Peg is very like flighty and chaotic and Olive is like, um, reining her in. Structure. So it's us. So again, we're a lesbian couple. (laughs) I don't know, Molly. It seems that way. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, we might be related. Moving on. (laughs) We just went to a very wrong place. This is not okay. Um, uh, what no, did you I think- mean, I like their dynamic a lot, though. Yeah. What did you think about how they ran the playhouse? It was like part brothel, part like uh, YMCA sleepover, part like bar, part. It- I think that all of that was Peg. I don't think Olive, it was. If Oliver run in the show by herself, she wouldn't have let that happen. But oh, I think again, it would have been a completely different playhouse if it wasn't for all without right. with Olive in charge. But then again, I also feel like even though Olive had a partnership in the playhouse and a partnership with Peg professionally and personally, mm-hmm. it wasn't her playhouse. It was Peg and her ex husband's playhouse, Billy. Billy. Which they um, for, they formed it together. Uh, it was their business. I have no idea at what point Olive came into the picture because we don't know that. Um, but I think, they but I think it was it before was, they separated. It was it. It's insinuated that it was during the Great War. That's when they met mm-hmm. during World War One when they were being nurses overseas, and it kind of sounded like while they were making these shows, Olive just kind of started tagging along and coming along with them. 
That's what I got out of it. Well, that's also how Peg met um, Billy. Right. So. Um, Billy actually outs them, right? I actually thought thought Billy was going to end up being gay, even though it turns out that he's just a playboy. Um, But I. Yeah, he literally says to Olive when they're in the middle of making this big show, Mm -hmm. what a world it would be if you and I had the same taste in women, Olive. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. And then um but you- still doesn't pick up on that. She doesn't realize that they're she's together so, until she sees them like Well, she's so self-absorbed, you yeah. know? I mean and then what did you think of the dynamic between Billy, Peggy, and Olive? So I think I mean, I don't know that they don't put a label on it of like what their actual sexual orientation is. But my guess is that Peg is uh, bi or, or pan or something queer yeah. she identifies queer as queer some, right in some form but I really think that Olive is a lesbian and that's it like she's um, she likes women and she only likes women and I think Billy only likes women um, and so I, the, the dynamic ends up being the person that you it, it's very Arizona Robbins and Callie yes well, with Mark, uh, it's very that. <laughs> it's very that. Um, I have a theory that Peg felt like she was getting up there in years, wanted her family money, knew Billy had money, didn't want to be identified as a lesbian in her older age, and just married Billy, you know? No, they got married young. I mean, they got married right after the war. Young-ish. I mean, young for the times, I guess, but like, I don't know. I don't know. I I don't think that what I think the problem was with the dynamic was I think Olive has some jealousy because I they could be it, open about the relationship, right. whereas she and Peg never could be. Right. And um, I think that Peg. Peg is too Billy, kind to Billy. She right? put Billy on a pedestal. Yeah. And, I mean, he had um, his own apartment there, even though he was never there. Right. And, and I don't think that's. I, I don't blame for Olive for feeling that jealousy. I can't no. imagine what it would be like to not be able to be honest about your relationship right. with the person that you love. Right. Um, I I loved Olive. Uh, she honestly was the glue that kept everybody alive those years. Because, I mean, yeah. she saved Vivian's ass with that whole threesome thing. She- um, that scene when she refers to Vivian as her niece... And um, this is my family and I'm going to fix this. To me, that was the truest moment for Olive. And I honestly think Vivian's always seen her that way. She probably always has inquired. And it's just, she's never been able to go upstate with Peg. You know what I mean? She could never go to Peg's brother's house. And like, so she has always lived vicariously through Olive. And Mm -hmm. Olive's always lived vicariously through Peg having family in the States. So of course she's going to cling on to any sense of family. Right. Well, I think that was a real honest moment. That was, that was, Viv- that was a uh, Vivian witnessing Olive um, de- declare her relationship with Pink. Yeah. Yeah. Um, did you think the playhouse was the character itself? I mean, I guess. I don't think so. When I think of, but I think of it was it was more of a of a like 
a setting. It was more a setting than it was a character. When I like, think of a, like the the elevator in Grey's Anatomy is a character. Uh, the house. I don't uh, think this the, playhouse. The is Bishop really House like in Discovery of Witches. That house is a character. Well, that house is alive. Yeah. <laughs> so a hundred percent. Yes. Um. Throughout this book, Vivian becomes obsessed with others. First, it's Celia, then Edna Parker Watson, and then Antony, and then like she clings to people but she can only be friends with them like or hyper focus on them one at a time right Mm -hmm. why do you think this you she does this do you think it's youth do you think it's just her personality and then i mean edna eventually calls her a bland girl right pretty much compares her to a barnacle on a ship well edna's also a scorned woman so she's oh, I mean, say whatever. Edna's pissed and can you blame her no i can't um i don't know if i can really answer that question personally i don't find vivian to be a likable character i don't right. like her I, she's um, a faulted character and i think that's on purpose right mm-hmm. but um I, I think there is something to be said about your youth and discovering who you are and I just don't know that I feel like they ever got to that point with Vivian. Right. I don't know. I don't think, yeah. I mean, she just lived a life. She didn't live a life of purpose. Does that make sense? It's like a really bad version of Forrest Gump. Like, Forrest Gump had all these things happen and obviously went through a long time period, um, an entire life, right? And, like, that's what this book tried to do, but it did it really poorly. Really poorly. (laughs) The Playhouse has several wild characters. Mm-hmm. Was there anybody that was your favorite? Um, I cannot remember his name, but I liked the really, the, the flamboyant male dancer. Oh, yeah. The I, can't his male. Name I cannot remember his name, but I thought he was great. Um, I love that he was who he was and that was it. And I right. love, like, he, he just reminded loud, me, for sure. Right. He, he just reminded me so much of, um, um, I can't think of his name, but on like America's Next Top Model, like original America's Next Top Model, he was the guy that would Mr. just how to walk. Yes. Mr. J. No, yep. Miss J. Miss J. Miss J. J. Sorry. Miss J. He reminded yes. me of that. Yes. Like he was just who he was. And that and, was that. And that was that. Um, my favorite was Mr. Herbert. Like, Playwright, <laughs> drunk, uh, drunk, um, ex lawyer. Yeah, turns out to be Billy and uh and Peg's godson. Like, <laughs> yeah, what the hell? Like, obviously, I I would read a story about that man's life. How did mm-hmm. he go from being a lawyer, managing assets of Billy's family's fortune, to living at Lily Playhouse? I'm guessing. <laughs> It was the alcohol. I would blame it on absinthe if it was like Moulin Rouge or something. Like this, this book has a lot of like parallels to Moulin Rouge. It's a different yeah. time period. It's a different city, mm-hmm. but it's the same like freedom of sex, sexually, and yeah, art love, and, and yeah, right, yeah. Do you think the war gave Vivian a sense of purpose or a second chance? Um. I don't know because I sort of feel like what ended up happening for her was that she sort of just fell into that job with Peg. Right. Like she, at that point had already her life gone. Just, her life is just falling into shit. Right? right. 
Like, obviously, she loses her brother, and that was tragic. And she lost her brother in what was a very tragic um, yeah, bombing. real thing. It was a real thing, rooted in yeah. history. Um, and that was really tragic. But I really feel like that uh, the reason that she ended up being involved at all was because Peg was just Peg like, need, you yeah, need to get I'm your hands. shit together. Come on, we're going to do yeah. this. I, mean, I don't think it I don't think it was her purpose. I think she just like I don't think she ever really truly had a purpose, probably until um she started the bridal, bridal shop. shop. And really Marjorie, after which we're gonna get to Marjorie and really after question. Marjorie had her her son. Yeah. Um do you think the death of her brother matured her at all? Because I don't. I think she just no. aged. I don't no. think maturity really hit till later in life. No, I don't um, think it did either. Um, I want to talk about Marjorie. Mm-hmm. She's a constant in Vivian's life, right? Mm-hmm. From the moment we meet her in... And Marjorie um, is younger than her by a few years. Yeah, so she's a yeah. teenager and, when we meet her. In Lowski's used emporium, mm-hmm. she's like a child, right? She's in like middle school or something, oh, Yeah, I think right? she's 13, like 14. 12 or 13, yeah. But she, Marjorie's an interpreter for her parents. Mm-hmm. She goes to school full time. Right. Um, she's honestly my favorite character in this book. Um, what did you think about her and her place in this book? Like, I feel like I want to know more about her than what we actually got to know. Because I think her character was interesting. Right. Um, you know, she's first generation to be born in this country of Jewish, uh, European Jewish immigrants. Uh Um, and, uh, She's also very, you know, free. But yeah, we don't. I really mean, she get wears to know. like the Russian, like what she had the mounty hat and like yeah. the Russian yeah. skulls, and yeah, she was I, like. All- I think I think she would have been one to know more about, but we don't really get to know about her. No. Like it's almost like to me that the author spent so much time building up the backstory of who Vivian was that by the time she got to where Vivian was in her life, that she was writing this letter to Angela, mm-hmm. um, she kind of would have already been, she would have been at a thousand pages if she actually gave right. us a story Right, and she there. didn't flush out the other characters. Right. Yeah. And this is what bothers me about this book. She asked one question. She asked one question. Now that my mom is dead, I would like to know what you are, what you were to my dad. Who you were to my father. Who's also dead. Right. Um, And instead of answering that question of, your father and I loved each other, but we loved each other platonically. I loved him romantically, but he would never have left your mom and you. And we never had sex. And we were never engaged in a relationship beyond a friendship Instead of telling her that, she spent 400 fucking pages telling her about all the guys she banged. Right. Um, by chapter 29, I'm actually getting there. Um, when we get to chapter 29, we finally get to the point of this damn letter to Angela. Her father was a man who drove her home. Right. Well, her he and was Wallace home. Very the, rude. Yeah, he called her a whore. Mm-hmm. Um, then he ended up being on the same ship that Wallace was on when he died. Mm-hmm. Um, had a lot of PTSD from that. Severe PTSD. And burn burns all over his body. Yes. Um, um and he definitely has the, PTSD. The commanding officer for the, the captain of the ship tried to have all of the men yeah. who were blown off the ship 
Masted for it being a wall and deserving. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, I personally, this is emotional cheating. I hold this up there with the three way. Mm-hmm. He emotionally cheated on his wife for years with, with, he Canadian. did. He did. He definitely did. And I'm not going to say that their relationship was right by any means. I think probably what would have been the best thing for him to do when he came home was to divorce his wife because he was never going to be. No, he was was, never, but he didn't want to be out of his daughter's life either. I don't think. Well, she wouldn't do it. Right. Right. Because she was Catholic Catholic and couldn't divorce him. What did Um, you think of him? um, What did you think of Frank? I mean, I feel really bad for him that he has PTSD, that he had PTSD, that he um, didn't really feel like he could ever be, he was never going to be whole again. No. It wasn't just about the burns on his body. He was never going to be whole again. No, there Um, was a massive amount of PTSD that poor man had. That poor man was traumatized. Right. I'm really bothered by the fact that he brought his daughter to her dress Vivian's Vivian's shop dress shop shop to have her dress made i understand why he did it this is the person he cares about but you basically took your to your mistress's shop now i understand they never slept together but they had a much more intimate relationship than what he ever had with his wife after he came home from the war right which he barely had a relationship with his wife before the war. Before the war, because they grew up together in a Italian neighborhood. But she was younger than him. And, and they like, got married and consummated the the marriage. And then basically she got pregnant. And then he her, went off. But right. like, I get it. He lived in the shack out back and like, they mm-hmm. barely talked and he didn't know how to be a father to her. It's just, mm-hmm. I... I don't like how Vivian made the story of her father mm-hmm. about herself. Now, this definitely shows who Vivian is as a person. And I know we need some of this backstory to understand how her path and his and Frank's path crosses. It's just. I don't know that we do. Because I don't think Angela really needed to know that the first her, encounter that the two of them had was, was that he called her a whore. A whore right? I don't think that they needed to know that. And she definitely didn't need to know about the fact that she lost her virginity to a guy who paid her. Like, it was really unnecessary. There was so much that happened in this book. The story should have been, I knew your dad because da-da-da-da-da, the end. And this is how that went, right? And, like, I... She has no guilt over how she... uh, Over how she basically was emotionally shading with him. Yeah. Um... Do you think she should have written Angela? I don't think it's that Angela doesn't deserve some sort of explanation. But not. But not. Almost a thousand pages. No, but not the explanation she got. 500, almost 500. I exaggerate. Not the explanation she got. No. She deserved an explanation that was, I want you to know your father and I never had sex. But the explanation that she got started with how much sex she had so why would you ever I'm a sexual being and your father never i don't know why um, would you continue to read it i would just assume by the first few pages that you were banging my dad right cool I, right and at the end of the letter she extends like she ends the, the book in the letter by offering her friendship to angela 
Mm-hmm. You know, we have very few friends in life and life is too short. And I would really love to sit with you and talk to you about your father and be your friend if you want. I That could have been the whole thing. But that could have been the letter. I would like to talk to you about this in person. Right. That's so ballsy just to be like, <coughs> excuse me. Hey. Well, Angela has lost her mom and her dad now. And now you're like, hey, um, I'll, I was I'll, the- I'll be your surrogate mom. No, it's no. It's so fucking weird. All of it is bad. It's all bad. It's just weird. Um, That's it. That's my question. Yes, can we be done? It's just, um, I, I have a few, the only few nice things I have, I love the setting. I love the world she created. Um, I love the Lily Playhouse and all of its characters. I just don't get Vivian. I, I have problems with the unlikable main character, right? I, think that's purposeful we meet vivian and we instantly like oh she's conceited Mm -hmm. we instantly get off foot with her that she is just Mm self-centered and i had a hard time bouncing back from that yeah but i've read quite a few books with the main character being unlikable and i still love them Mm. this is just one that it was just not for me. she just never got redemption no all right so next week we are not having an episode but go watch our nope. short or listen to our short teaser <laughs> um oh, molly um go listen to the short teaser uh it's like two or three minutes so it won't take a lot of your time um and then we're going to kick off season two on on january um 11th and january 11th and 18th we are doing two special episodes we're doing crossover episodes with isaac gordon who runs the Master of None podcast. Uh, it's a phenomenal podcast. We've linked it last week. We'll link it again this week. Um, and uh, you can listen to the pod, our pod and his pod. Um, I'm sorry. You can, to, you, you can listen to both episodes on on both our pod right. platforms. Um, um, and so I will host on the 11th that we will read Ready Player One by Ernest Klein. Um, and then Isaac will host on the 18th and we will read... Uh, star, 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 Starship Troopers. Starship Troopers. I almost said Stormship. Starship Troopers by Robert A. Heinlein. Heinlein, probably. Mm-hmm. Um, and he will host that day. Um, and guys, his podcast is very different than ours. So it's, much different from ours. It's what not what we're doing, but but he's doing this with us. We're really excited about it. Um, um, if, you are, if you are fans of uh, Master of None and you have now picked up our podcast, welcome. Hi, thanks. Um, Hi, we're very uh, different so than him. <laughs> my backstory, uh, Isaac actually reached out to us, not mm-hmm. the other way around, which yeah. I was really impressed. I know him... I, I still say this. I know him as Mr. Gordon. Mm-hmm. He was um, one of my superior officers when I was active duty. Now neither mm-hmm. of us are obviously enlisted. Um, he and I became friends over the years via mm-hmm. the interwebs mm-hmm. uh, and had vastly different lives. Uh, his podcast is super interesting. If you like homesteading or... Mm-hmm. Um, emergency prep or any of that kind of like hands-on wilderness kind of mm-hmm. stuff. I don't know how to explain it. Stuff. I'm going to, you got to get the fist motions in there. Stuff. Um, you should definitely go listen to his pod because it's very interesting. I, yeah. 
I, I find it very interesting. And we'll have two weeks of episodes where we're not allowed to curse because he's... Yeah, oh yeah, by the way, yeah. <laughs> and if you do hear it, he's going to be bleeping it he's on his gonna side. He's going to be bleeping it on his side. So we're going to try really hard to be on our best behavior and not uh, Fingers fuck crossed. It up. <laughs> Frack yeah, man. Uh, um... Anyway, so that's it that's for this it, week. Gang, um, um, that's it for the season. The season, yes. Yeah. Season two. We'll see um, you on the new year for season two. Maybe. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Thank you for joining us on Book Besties. Don't forget to like and subscribe. The views discussed here are those of April and Molly, and not those of anyone else. Today, the book was City of Girls by Elizabeth Gilbert. Your book besties are Molly Biggs and April Watkins. Editing by Thomas Watkins and music is Sleep Sweetly by Prigida. Don't forget to follow book besties on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube. If you would like to contact the book besties, please email us at bookbestiespod at gmail.com.